Jay. How's it going? I'm good. It's good to see you. It's always good to see you. And, um, you know, for the people who are listening in, I have to say this is going to be a person who I've known for quite some time. Um, Got a little disconnected when I moved to the East Coast, but was so happy to see him when I came back to the California area. And just one of the people who, especially in my early career in mental health, was really driving home points around cultural competency, uh, cultural humility actually was the term Mm -hmm. you introduced me to. Um, Why don't you tell people um, a little bit about like who you, like I know you now as an administrator, activist, but yeah, why don't you say a little bit about yourself so folks can place you? Sure. Um, Well, currently I'm the an administrator in the uh, local behavioral health in the county of Marin. I'm the behavioral health director. Um, I'm a person of color. I'm a transgender individual. I grew up in the Philippines. I'm an immigrant. So those are sort of many, some of the spaces that I sort of occupy right now and have occupied for a while. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you move from being a provider to then doing training and education and then becoming an administrator? Yeah. What was that like? Well, maybe I'll start with my journey, actually, just to go to yeah, cool. mental, for mental, you know, sort of mental health is, you know, I am a person who is a family member that I actually have grown, grown up seeing family members who have a mental health and substance use condition. And so I saw the impact of that. And, and my own sort of experience, I think, of really seeing folks when they're unwell and how other people are affected by it. And so, you know, I wanted to become actually a medical doctor, but I often believe that somebody chose my faith and mm-hmm. sort of led me to psychology. Um, I was an undergrad um, wanting to get some, you know, health, health classes, but I took this psychology class that blew my mind. Um, mm-hmm. We had a professor there that talked about, she, has, she actually was a lawyer, but she said that she loved psychology so much and, and really understanding that, that she kept teaching. And so I was just like, just blown away by change of behavior, humility, using ourselves as tools to help other people. And I was just fascinated by it. So I I went to psychology, went to uh, behavioral health sciences. And then I sort of saw myself like wanting, wanting to sort of see like, what, what are things that we need to learn? What are the newer things? So I happened to be fortunate to come to the United States to go to graduate school. um, Because I want, I really wanted to work with people. Like I, envisioned myself, you know, in a hospital or working in clinics, talking to people. But, and so I I was trained to be a psychologist who have a a focus on substance use and trauma, really sort of that's the the work. But there were people around me in my work who said like, hey, I think Jay, you're good at policy or you're good at program development, or you're really creative at thinking of how to, you know, do things differently. So would you be interested in, you know, in different spaces? So me, myself, you know, I, I figured like, sure, why not? I wanted to try it. And I guess I'm good at it. So I'm, no guessing um, <laughs> you're good at it. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so people, I found spaces. And the one thing that I think people had, you know, I would often say like, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I'm, I, you know, I don't all have this, all this technical expertise. But one of the things that I've heard mostly is you have a way to bring people together right? Mm-hmm. I think people know that at the core of who you are is really building relationships. So I believe, you know, when I was starting out as a therapist, I believe that we can, um, you know, instill change, foster change through relationships. It's real, it's trusting relationships with people. Like we can, if we have that, I feel like we can 
you know, hold their hand. They can trust us. We can think about things that are different. We can explore risky things, you know, taboo things because there's trust. So for me, I think people see that, that at the end of the day, the core value is building relationships that really saves the world. Wow, that is so powerful. And now I know why I think we get along (laughs) and why I was, and I'll put it this way, you know, professionally attracted because it was like, oh, here's this person who seems, um, first of all, very authentic, sincere, and very about the human, like touching the human soul. That's what I thought about you when I first mm-hmm. met you. And many times that I've, I've seen you speak, it's, um, I think sometimes, you know, I use the word that you're an activist and sometimes people think of activists as sort of the people who are outside of the system kind of raise fists. And yeah. somebody said to me the other day, they've got, you know, the pitchforks mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, the, the burning, you know, kind of bush things and they're coming at people that that's an activist. But, but in fact, I think, um, you know, you bring a lot of humility And that makes it, I think, in one way, easier for people to enter into spaces that might feel discomforting for them. Um, And I've learned a lot from you about that as well, is that, you know, how do you hold space for people where we might not be in agreement, but we're trying to have conversation and we don't want to shut people off. You have this ability to do that really, really well. Oh, thanks. I mean, and I really believe, I, I believe that we need everybody to make changes. Like there's no no one is dispensable, right? I feel like really what we need is to bring people together to create that change because this work can't be done by one person. Yeah. Like we need multiple facets. So, but if, if we don't create spaces where we can show up as our full selves, then, I mean, what are we doing this, this work for? Like, I feel like that's, that's uh, the piece. And I also believe that leadership and change happens in different levels, right? So, um, I grew up, you know, in the 70s and um, there was a, a very much political unrest in the Philippines while I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And there were activists who were on the streets and protesting, but there were also activists who were taking care of the people that were protesting, mm-hmm. right? They were giving them water and food, you know, giving them places to sleep. They weren't shouting at the top of their voices, but they were so critical for the people who were marching and doing the change that they were taking care of them. Yes. So I'm thinking like this sort of this, we need that relationship in, in all the things that we do. Yeah, everybody has a role. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. How did you get interested in um, a cultural humility work? Oh my, um, you, know, I, you know, I grew up in a kind of third world country and sort of I saw, you know, how people benefited when they had wealth and resources. We were middle-class, so I saw that. I remember my mom growing up you know, worried about putting food in the table, putting food in the table. So I kind of knew, understood. And then really just sort of seeing the sort of the disparities around. And, you know, I, again, I came from a different, you know, country. I came here as um, actually as a graduate student. And I just saw the disparities. People would say like during spring break, like, oh, you want to go to Tahoe? And I'm like, I'm working 24 seven to pay my bills, Mm -hmm. right? You know, or let's go to the movies every Friday. And like, I can't afford that because I'm working. And sort of I saw that. And also in Daly City, which I saw was living at that time, I saw the disparities of many of the immigrant communities Mm. there, you know, access to resources. And so I was really trying to understand that a little bit. I didn't have much words, obviously, until I I went to graduate school about, you know, equity, equality, Mm -hmm. inclusion. Also, but growing up in a country where you're, you have to fight for your freedom and sort of seeing people like literally dying on the streets for, for them to be free. Mm-hmm. So that for me, I think has been there. Mm-hmm. And then in grad school, we were 
taking all these, you know, how to work with LGBTQ folks, how to work with Asian Americans. And I'm just thinking like, wow, you take a class to understand that. And then, but not all Asian Americans are fit in this criteria. Not all indigenous people fit in, fit in, in this criteria. So I was really struggling with sort of that notion of, you know, like you have to be perfect and you have to be competent because people are complex. Yes. One day I was doing research and I read this article from Dr. Melanie Turvalon about really cultural humility. And that blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Her principles of like that you're engaged in a lifelong process, that you have to actually understand power differences, like you have to really work with community in this work. And then most importantly, that organizations and infrastructures have to be accountable and responsible to do the work also, because it's not an individual issue. Like the work of equity is not by one individual. In organizational agencies, structures need to be uh, responsible for it. That just blew my mind. So I was so attracted to that notion. And you know, when you just think about it, like, oh, it was, it was just like life changing for me. I reached out to actually Dr. Turvalon a few times, didn't hear. And then one day, I, I feel like it, there's this notion that when the student is ready, the teacher shows up. Mm-hmm. I reached out again for like the third time and she responded. And I just said that, you know, her teachings, reading her teaching changed my life. And so we established sort of a connection. And, and really, she is helping still at this point, helping me understand the value of of really a change in attitude, a change in perspective that none of us can ever, you know, get her to be super competent because people are complex, things are changing, but but we there are specific key things that we need to consider when we are moving towards an anti-racist organization or anti-racist practice or really create uh, equity for people. So mm-hmm. that, that I'm, I'm passionate about cultural humility, as you can yes. imagine, but just because it's so, it's just, it's just like a really, really great concept and a great tool. Yes. When you're, when you're doing this work, especially as an administrator of a um, behavioral health system that has to meet the needs of everybody in the community, that's the mandate of public health. Uh, well, everybody with serious mental health conditions and substance use conditions, et cetera. How do you help people see sort of the differences that exist in the populations that, you know, you are serving and some of the work that still needs to be done to make those services aligned with the communities that you're supporting? You know, for me, my North Star is, can I create systems that are are, are much better, much more equitable for all people, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the goal. So I try to be at least thinking about what's the impact of my decision right now? And can there be a bigger impact so that even when I'm gone, these, these little dents or this little course correction actually will remain and create bigger waves of change? Because I know I'm just a small speck in this universe <laughs> and my time here is really limited. So that's the, that's the piece um, that I work every day. And then the other one, I try to put my perspective, while my perspective is not all and be all, of really what it's like when there, there are barriers, right? So as an immigrant, you know, as a transgender individual, I try very hard to be as authentic as I am and, and share that experience from a different perspective. That's what I try to do. Mm-hmm. And people disagree. Some might agree. But I, I feel like that's something that's just important for me. So I look at the impact of you know, a decision that has policy implications or programmatic implications. I try to, as you know, I, I, I'm a storyteller too. I like telling stories. Like that's for me how I connect with people because, 
you know, stories heal. Stories mm-hmm. create connectivity and creativity. So that's how I, I try to tell a different story from folks that are used to hearing the same story. Yeah, yeah. So uh, speaking of stories, when I first met you, you had not started the transition yet, I don't believe. And no. then when I came back from DC, I'll never forget you walked up to me and you said, Karis, it's Jay. It's Jay. And it's like, I know it's Jay. And I had to go, oh, but I do know it's Jay, right? <laughs> so it was like, okay, this is not shocking for me. I know it is Jay. Thank you very much. But I think, um, you know, you are, at least as, as far as, as I know, um, and again, you know, having worked at the federal government, seeing a lot of what's out there in, in, our, in our states and localities related to, you know, who's doing what in, in mental health, particularly who's um, leading the, the agencies. Are you one of the only out transgender folks at least what we i think we know that in california i'm probably okay california yeah in california we don't know and somebody had actually said you might actually the first openly transgender behavioral health director in the country Mm -hmm. there's that sort of pressure like oh god please don't screw this up (laughs) right so there's that pressure (laughs) right and and so i think i i i take that seriously because i (laughs) It's, it's important, you know, representation is important, but also, also authenticity. And, and yes. I feel like people had said, well, um, you know, and sort of my stories about like people coming up when I first was coming out as trans, I would be in meetings where people on the side would be talking like, oh, that's the transgender man. And I'm thinking like, oh, I'm in a community meeting facilitating a conversation of mental health and substance use. Why are people focused on that? And mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that's, for me, it's really important. But also to talk about transgender people can be leaders in many different forums, shape, sizes. So somebody told me, you know, there are actually transgender leaders in this, you know, in different fields. But say, well, that makes sense to me if you're in an LGBTQ organization. Well, yeah. And I said, no, that's not okay. A transgender individual can be as successful in any organization. Right. And so I think that's really what I'm hoping is that perspective, but also just my own sort of authenticity about it and to be unapologetic about who I am and and the perspective of. Yeah. And yeah. But when you saw me, I think what the last time we saw each other, um, obviously, I I had been thinking about it and then Mm -hmm. finally had, I think, I don't know, the courage, maybe just in my own coming to my own self and say, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I really need to be who I am. I need to figure out a way to just show up and live a truly authentic life. And so I actually came out, you know, at work, but I was lucky that many of the leaders there embraced it and didn't bat an eye and said, what, I can, what can we do to support you? So I yeah. think that helped quite a bit in, sort of my, in my journey now. Yeah, I mean, it's so powerful, and I'm glad you're unapologetically you and authentically you, and um, hopefully this gives, um, I want to say courage, but certainly helps other folks who are thinking about, well, what is their journey? How do you show up authentically you? I mean, many times, you know, for myself, people want to put me in the black bubble, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, I could do anything, <laughs> you know? I don't, I don't have to, when I, when I used to work in um, college admissions work, uh, you know, the first jobs folks wanted me to do was minority admissions. And I'm like, but mm-hmm. I, I can work with everybody. I really wanted to do international admissions because I had lived internationally most of my life. But people couldn't see me in that role. It's like, but you're Black. And I'm like, and your point. <laughs> and what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? So it's kind of like, it doesn't really make any sense to think about it that way. So I'm really appreciative that you're also helping people see that, you know, we can be leaders in any 
anywhere that we want to be leaders or have any roles anywhere. Mm. And you've talked about policy a couple of times Mm -hmm. that sometimes, you know, that's a huge lever for us to understand where does the policy sit in order to also drive change. You know, did you learn that while you were going through school or was that something that you learned kind of OJT on the job? Yeah, it's on the job. Like, so when I, uh, you know, I started my public service in uh, public service career in the county of San Mateo. And Me- Mental Health Services Act was sort of just coming, slowly coming in. And so I really had a perspective of, let's really look at our resource and see what's our long term, right? So if we just are re- reactive about like now, we can't build the infrastructure. But so I knew about program development, but I was sort of curious about, well, you need policies to help shape and shift things to create that infrastructure. So it's just like, okay, well, how do we do that? How do we create change? We change policies, procedures, we, we work with, you know, electeds, we think about the, the, the community effect and, you know, who you engage. So I actually learned that. And in, in my opinion, policies need to be grounded by community work. Like it has to work operationally from the ground. Like I love the, the new ideas that most of our legislative folks are thinking about, but they have to connect to like, will this work when I implement this? Do, mm-hmm. You know, because oftentimes they had really great visions about what this policy, this legislation will create, and not realizing like, oh, that's really good in theory, but in practice, it's yeah. a mess. Yes. Right? And, and then we have to create another policy to undo that mess. So yes. yeah. change happens in all levels. We can't just look at change in one level. For me, true transformational change really is about looking at all the levels, engaging everybody that both has a direct interest in it, but the one that are mostly significantly impacted sometimes are not on those tables. And so how do we bring them together? And sometimes these processes will take time. And I'm, I'm okay yes. to wait for some longer time and right. extending time because we really need to do the work and not just like, what well, we need this right now. We need this you know, tomorrow or a week. Let's make a decision. And I feel like, oh my gosh, two, two months Maybe a year from now, we're going to create another program to undo what we just did. Yes. Yeah. Waste of time. And then how do you bring people who are not at the table, who have not traditionally been at the table, how do you bring them to the table and support them to participate in those tables? So a lot of times those stakeholder, you know, participatory groups have their own culture and own way of kind of uh, doing the work. And then when other folks show up and can't can't do it within that, those cultural norms, then you blame the people and you don't invite them back, yep. right? Versus kind of saying, well, wait a minute, maybe we need to orient everybody, including the folks who have been at the table historically around like, this is, this is not even saying this is how we do things. We could say this is how we do things um, and also be open to how can we do it better to make sure that more people can be involved. And then how do we support each other as leaders? I know, uh, I think we were talking about that at some point in our careers around, um, You know, sometimes what I find, you know, as a leader of color in particular, there are few people that I could reach out to who I can talk to maybe about some of the things that I'm going through as a leader, Um, as a, as a person with lived experience becomes fewer, (laughs) fewer and far between where I can feel comfortable saying, well, I might be struggling with this. I might be struggling with that. And, or I just need support. I just kind of need some mentorship or support to get through whatever tough time I'm going through. And then I also want to be able to turn around and mentor and support others as well. You know, when you're a director of a county behavioral health system that, you know, where do you find that support when you're in that kind of leadership role? 
I mean, I, I will say to you, that's one of the struggles that I'm actually sort of facing is there aren't many people that you can talk to, like I can talk to. And so I've been in that journey as well, thinking about who are the folks and, you know, slowly reaching out. And that, that takes time. That takes, you have to build a trusting relationship with folks that you can just say like, look, what happened to me? Like I, you know, I screwed up. I was an idiot or, you know, whatever. Right. But without being judged. And I think that stuff, and especially when you're a person of color, because the expectation of you is that you're perfect to even be considered credible. Like, it's not like you have the tech, you know, technical expertise, the credibility, the education. It's not even just that, that you are perfect. Right? Yes. So when you are kind of falling apart, the people that start doubting you. And so over time, I have a few people that I can reach out to, um, but it's hard. And I'm really hoping to change that. That's actually one of the things that I'm hoping to do in this next phase of my, you know, I turned 51 this year. A baby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I actually started thinking about like what's really important to me. People of color, leaders of color need the support and real support, not just not just support so that you can look like a white leader, mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. but a, a, a leader that's really in your own voice authentically, because our leadership styles might look differently from Yes. you know, what people think is the a leader. And so I want to change that. I want to really help shift vulnerability, right? That we can say, oops, I, sc- I screwed up there. But it's really more focused on relationships. So this notion, when I was, you know, sort of going up the ranks, people will say, well, you needed more experience with budgets and technical stuff and learning how to negotiate residential. But I'm like, I don't know if I can ever be fully there. Yes. But what I'm good at, is really the, the the relationship building that for me is that what they call soft skills, when in my opinion really are the, the, That's the hardest kick-ass skill skills, right? Yes. Yeah, it's a yeah. hardest skill to have, right? And I I often like, well, why is that? Why do we keep saying focusing on the technical skills when what we're seeing is really the kinds of leaders that can help move mountains is their relationship. And so yeah. I struggled that for a long time. And now I'm thinking like we because we never focused on that. And now I want to try to figure out ways. Just to support emerging leaders, leaders that are doing this work, that are in spaces that are oftentimes asked them to be somebody different. Yeah. But how how do they show up in their full selves and apolog- unapologetically as their full yeah. selves, confident, you know, and then ready to just do the work. And I feel like we don't have that. And so if you have ideas. I do have <laughs> ideas. I do. This is, I would this love is... to think, think this through. Oh, I my gosh. This is so powerful because, you know, I think the same thing. And one of the things I remember when it was either when I was in high school or college, I can't remember, my, my parents had to help me think about a little trick. So there was always something, you know, when I was born in Germany and moved around because my, my you know, father was in the military. But one of the things that they had kind of impressed upon myself and my brother is that there's an expectation people have, particularly of African-Americans. And that expectation is low. And so for, for, and again, whether that's true today or not, but in general, that was their feeling about the expectation. And I know a lot of, a lot of black folks are like shaking their heads. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So one of the things my parents uh, told us is, you know, when you enter the classroom, sit in the front of the classroom, Mm -hmm. always have your books out ready and prepared, Mm -hmm. you know, raise your hand. Don't wait to be called on things that kind of said, we're here, we're prepared. We are engaged. We're breaking whatever stereotype you have about black folks in education. We're going to break that down for you right now. So that was kind of like first grade all the way up. Right. So, 
in college, one of the things my, my parents said is do not be fooled by what you see, that if you mm-hmm. need a tutor, go get one. And don't worry about what other people see. Or the worry for me was that, well, people are going to perceive that I, I shouldn't be at that college, that I'm not smart enough, that I was there because I was Black, not because I had the grades or the smarts or the whatever it was that, that uh, brought me to be at the, at the uh, college. And they said, look, we are not even going to, my father's a professor, right? So I, I knew he was telling me the truth. He was like, look, I'm going to tell you straight up, white kids have tutors. They've had them all through high school. They have them in college. You don't see them going to the tutor, but trust me, they have a tutor. Mm-hmm. So I said, if you need a tutor, go get one. And you don't have to like, tell everybody you have a tutor. You don't have, you can do it out in the open. You could do it behind closed doors, what have you. And so what that taught me was that sometimes what we see on the surface of people in power is not just them alone doing it. What we don't see is all the support they have behind them, but we see support as something that says we're weak versus the thing we need in order to really pull ahead, right? So when we were doing SB 803, the California State Certification um, Peer Certification Bill, when I realized I didn't know enough about policy, especially about Medicaid policy and about how some of the legislative processes work in California, because it is its own state, like any other state, we have some interesting things that other states don't have. I said, okay, I'm going to go get me a mentor. (laughs) And I went and got a mentor and that mentor was behind the scenes and I I would share things and we we would write uh, uh, statements together. And then I would show up and say, like, nobody knew I had this mentor behind the scene until I was finally like, okay, now this stuff is way over my head. I need to have people talk to the mentor, (laughs) you know, but I think that's one of the things around um, that is so important for leaders, especially leaders of color, leaders from marginalized communities to, again, see that it is not about the person themselves. It is about those relationships that are developed. It is about the support those relationships provide you and the expertise, because no way in heck are our leaders, and I don't think a good leader should ever be one that is one who does it by themselves. I don't think it's a good leader. No, no, I I actually agree with you. Like, so it's this I, and I've struggled with this for a while, like this concept of like heroism or sheroism that it's an individual, one individual that will save yes. the day is yes. really a false notion. Like it totally is against he, the concept of coming together, working together and seeing us collectively. So when somebody says, well, I saved the day, that's good. But actually, I don't think so because some people around them probably sacrifice whatever yeah. they did to get you to do there. So I really feel this concept that of working collectively and see who, different places we were in and different changes, you know, it's, it's really a community that comes together to support one individual sometimes. Right. Right. And, and to not be ashamed to say, yeah, yeah. There were a hundred people behind. Yes. Me. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's some level of humility that has to happen while you're being unapologetic, <laughs> you know, it might seem a bit like an oxymoron, but it's not an oxymoron at all. It's actually um, exactly, I think, more and more what's needed, particularly now in our nation as a whole, not just mental health, but this recognition that, again, you know, it takes a village, I don't want to borrow yep. that from, but it, it does, it takes a village, it takes a community, and then how can we turn to our uh, communities to support us as we support our communities as well, so that's really powerful. Yeah, and, and I feel like we, you know, we have been taught to believe that, you know, sort of this individualistic, like, is the goal. And I'm thinking, I mean, and I struggled, like I came to this country, like learning that in grad school and, and realizing, no, that's, that's not how it works. Like if I look at every successful person, when they do their biography, 
it's like everybody else had supported them, but when they were in their height of whatever they're doing, people didn't talk about it. And I feel yes. like oh, that's so that's so weird with right. all the people around them. And I feel like we really need each other. Like I really believe we need each other to survive. Like the, you know, especially in this time when there's all these, you know, climate change. We need to bit. band together to tell to, to to make changes so that we can survive. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, um, I think this idea of, you know, leadership, leadership academy, leadership support. I certainly can think of some agencies in California that would be um, very interested in thinking about. I mean, we do have a you know leadership. Did we meet at the? No, we didn't meet at the leadership academy. You know, these are California things, or maybe people outside of California. But um, you know, I think there are a lot of leadership academies, and the question becomes: How do they take on these issues that are unique to people of color, people from the intersectionality, et cetera? Because I don't think that those are some of the things that we double down on for, for, for us. And then, again, how do we create pockets of specific support so that we can go places where we feel safe? And I know, too, for, as, as lived experience, if, if I have this big fear, if I ever talk about oh, I'm not feeling well, then suddenly it's like, well, we knew she oh, got that mental illness. And, oh, you know, and, and I have heard, you know, people have concern about people with mental health conditions, leading organizations, or, you know, um, having leadership and executive positions, and um, thinking, well, really, that should be reserved for somebody who is stronger, or doesn't have a mental illness. And I'm like, that stronger person could, you know, um, have any kind of condition that will affect their ability to work, and they'll need to take time off, they could have cancer, who knows, I mean, we just don't know. So it's almost, well, it is discriminatory to say, people with, a, with mental health conditions can't do certain work. You don't know what they can do until they do what they're doing. Exactly. And I feel like that's sort of that box that we are all trying to put, be put in, like, oh, you can only do this and you can only do that. And I feel like we need to just start changing that. So, and also the reality, like, you know, when I was, again, beginning in this field, when I'm looking at leaders, they're like, they talk about everything is fine and dandy. And I'm thinking like, well, of course, like I'm saving the world, I'm doing this. And then on a, you know, in a different conversation, they're like, man, that was really hard. I have to deal with this, 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 and this. Like, why can't we be authentic and say, there is some opportunity being a leader in this role. Here are the really great things. And here are the struggles and yeah. the, because it makes you human. So I look at these leaders again, early on saying like, man, they were perfect. I need to be perfect. And now I'm thinking like, oh my, no. Oh, and so that's too much pressure. It, it also gives you, I think, a reality check of like, what are you really getting yourself into? Because sometimes, again, in my role, there's all these technicalities, but we have experts in my team that know that. Yes, exactly. So exactly. I don't need to know all of that, but I think what I, in my role, really need is like, you know, the face, really the policy, the, you know, all that stuff and the people skills, because, you know, I get calls pretty often and saying like, I was not very happy with your service. How can I, I mean, so I need to be able to navigate that. And I feel like that's the people skills of really saying like, Sorry that yes. your experiences is really, you know, poor. What can we do to make it better, right? When you want to be defensive and say, well, we've done everything we can, right? But so I think that's the piece, but that you can be targets. And I feel like that's the kind of authenticity that we don't talk about. So I would love to think about yeah. how do we support these, you know, uh, leaders of color in the space or the emerging ones that saying like, yes. I want to be in your place in 10 years, mm-hmm. like, and let me tell you the realities and let me also support you so that you right. are tougher, smarter, more authentic to who you are. Because right. if not, 
people are going to try to break you down. Exactly. Exactly. I'm in. That is something we definitely should do. I'm writing it down. So, you know, I'll be back in touch with you after we're done uh, to, to figure out, like I always say, well, it's pinky in the brain, but not pinky in the brain. Like how do we take over the world? But it's not us taking over the world. It's really us helping other people to live into what they see as, um, you know, what they want to do in this, in this field, in their future, and especially as leaders. So, um, if there's one thing that you want to leave uh, folks with, and I'll leave it wide open because we've talked a lot of, about a lot of different things, I always like to leave somebody, leave people with something maybe actionable that they could do, whether it be in their leadership role, whether it be related to, you know, mental health system transformation, whether it be, you know, what they can do in their communities. What, what one thing would you want to leave folks with? Oh man, that, that's, know. that's sort of, you know, um, <laughs> a setup. You know, it's a setup. <laughs> it's a setup to, you know, I mean, I have a couple of, I mean, I, first of all, I just, it's sort of just amazing to talk to you. I've you really looked up to you too. Like you are just for me, so relatable, just, but you bring so much humility to the work. And when I saw you at that, you know, that past sort of presentation, I was just like, man, I should really try to connect more with Karis and, and really, cause you're ins- very inspiring to me and, you know, and not just because you're, you're doing all of these policy changes it's just because you're real and I feel like that's really what we need so I just want to say like it's an honor to be on yeah, the podcast. Thank you. you know the thing for me and this is more of my story you know I grew up being invisible uh, invisibility to some degree was a way to survive mm-hmm. and coming to this country of also being seen as sort of you know in the, the Asian model minority myth about you're quiet and you're invisible that's sort of like there's some pattern there but now I realize you know coming out being open about who I am and really striving to live fully authentically, I think it's really important to be visible, to really be visible. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you, you, you have to be perfect or you have to be articulate, that you have to always look good or, you know, look like, you, you know, you come be visible as your fully authentic self, right? Because that tells other people that they don't have to be perfect that they are valuable for who they are anyway. It doesn't ha- have to be that they're perfect, they're educated, they're, they, 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 they look nice, they smell nice. It's just you come as you are. Because in a world that pressures us to conform and to be somebody else, we, it is so easy to be invisible and to be treated as, an, as invisible. And I'm calling your folks who are listening to your podcast is to be visible and to be unapologetic in their own full authentic self. And that is, is courage every day. And that is something that we all should strive for, is to come out and to be who we are and love who we are, really. Yes. Okay, <laughs> my, my, my so message. now I have tears in my eyes. I really do. I really do. This is... This is um, uh, you just hit me like in my heart, which you do, Jay. That's... Oh my gosh, you do this every time. Why? Why did I let you do this to me today? <laughs> But, but the reason you do this is that's been my struggle as well. And I think, you know, we're pushed to this invisibility. And even, even today, even today in my, you know, life with all the things that I've, I've done, I still struggle with this feeling invisible and also wanting to be invisible. And I named this podcast Unapologetically Black Unicorns because I'm actually living into being unapologetically black unicorn. I'm not that yet all the time. So I want to thank you for reminding me and all of us about the importance of being visible. 
and being authentic. It's just so critically important. And um, what do you say when the student is ready, the teacher shows up. So today you have been my teacher. (laughs) I am the student and I am ready to receive that message and walk it forward. I hope everybody else is as well. So thank you. Thank you so much for being with me today on Unapologetically Black Unicorns. I really am grateful just to be here. Thank you. Sure thing. And um, we look forward to everybody joining us next week.